Welcome to episode 92 of the Amanda Wagner podcast, the place for fiercely ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who want to get off the sidelines, build a legacy and claim their spotlight. In this episode, I share a question that I can't stop asking. I can't stop thinking about and I'm using it with clients, friends, and myself. LP and I talk about some of the questions that we find ourselves asking other people all the time. And we even turn the questions on ourselves and encourage you to take these questions and use them too. So if you are a pen and paper type of person, this is your cue. Get your pen and paper. Answer these questions for yourself. I'm Amanda Wagner, speaker, business strategist, and professional hype woman. And I'm Liz Pittman, a digital communications specialist. The Amanda Wagner podcast is the place for ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who are tired of looking at others and saying, why are they doing that and I'm not? And are ready instead to claim their own spotlight. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges and delights of being highly ambitious and how even though we're impatient and at times anxious, we can be intentional and make strategic decisions about how to get more of what we want in a noisy world. Bottom line, when I'm coaching, I ask a lot of questions. That's my job. I was out for dinner with a friend last night and we get into some shop talk. And after making this really big decision about her business and what she thinks she wants to do and how she's going to keep the momentum and the action she's going to take tomorrow. I sat back and I said, well, I just ask questions. That's all I do here. And she was like, no, 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 wait. You ask the right question at the right time to help me dig out the answer. And I thought, oh, I do do that, don't I? This yes, isn't just a random do. question. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's wonderful and infuriating at the same time. <laughs> tell me why it's infuriating because you are not the first person to tell me this. <laughs> I think it's just because you just get straight to the point and it's like, let's not fuck around. Start thinking about it. You just like, you get right to it. And it's like, God, Amanda, why? <laughs> Yeah, this is true. It yeah. uh, it can be a bit abrasive. I am no, learning. It's not abrasive. You just help people confront things they don't always want to confront. Having this conversation with my friend last night, I'm really kind of owning that I have this skill. I don't just ask questions. I am thoughtful about the types of questions I ask. <laughs> you saying that reminds me of, of a couple that I, I know and often talk to the... The female and the couple, she and I are better friends and her husband was there. And I, at one point, just turned to him and said, so how are you feeling all about this? And she turned to him and said, yeah, how are you feeling about this? As though I was asking a question that she wasn't comfortable asking him or that he wouldn't respond to if it was his wife asking. But all of a sudden, when the stranger does, the, the stakes feel higher. So I like to think that this is my superpower. And and I so appreciate my friend stopping me in my tracks and saying, hang on a second. No, this is this is really important. I bring this up because I've been asking a question lately that I can't stop using and I can't stop thinking about it. And the origin of it is actually... I worried the question was offensive. So I went out for coffee with somebody who I've become closer friends with and really appreciate. And she is uh, 
almost done her PhD, which is so exciting. And she she started in January 2020. So you can imagine that that's been a, a challenging, challenging experience. And she's talked about how it's hard. And so when I sat down with her, I said, this is going to sound worse than I intended. Why is it so hard? I didn't mean it to be dismissive. It can sound like, what do you mean it's hard? Of course it's hard. You're doing a PhD. You are going through academic rigor to get credentials and experience and all of these things. She happens to study diamonds, which I think is fascinating. And it kind of stopped her and she really thought about that question. Why is this hard? And it let us pull at all these different threads. Was it hard because of a balance between your work and your PhD work and your life that happens to involve a partner and children and all of the normal life things? Was it hard because of the content? Is it hard because of the support or lack of support from your supervisor? Is it hard because the research is hard, the analysis, the writing, it forced us to really get into what is the hard part. And from there, we could triage. From there, we could go, okay, if this is the hard part, how do we solve it? I've used this question over and over since. Um, my husband has been writing this report and it's like, oh, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. It's this 30-page document, yada, yada. And I said, again, I, I preface it with, this isn't intended to be offensive, but why is this hard? And he said, well, I actually have all the information I need. Okay, so that's not it. And he says, it's hard because I have to translate my data and my information into a story. And I said, well, lucky for you, you are married to a wonderful person. And so once we found the hard, we could go, okay, great. Now we can solve this. Similar with my friend doing a PhD. She said, the hard is getting uninterrupted chunks of time. Okay. So knowing it's not the content, it's not the relationship. It's not that you can't do it. It's that having an hour here and there is not how one is going to complete a PhD in four years. Mm -hmm. You're almost thinking, is it a technical thing? Is it an emotional thing? Is it a resource thing, right? Being able to drill down a little bit more to determine kind of what what the what the things are that are leading you to believe that or feel that it's hard. Exactly. And I think it, it we've talked about this on the podcast before where we've said like, yes, the hard is what makes it great. But also, if we can make it easier why would we not? If we can identify the hard part, we can also look at, okay, so what are all the parts of this that are easier? So I'll use my, my husband as an example. Translating this data into a story feels like the hard part. Like, okay, so gathering the data is the easy part. Go do it. The writing is the easy part. Go do it. We can weave the thread. We can do the hard part together. We do have an episode about easy work versus hard work. Uh, I'll link that in the show notes. So anyone who missed that can go back and listen to that archive episode as well. Thank you, Liz. Yeah, I I find this, again, I find the question kind of laughable. Like I laugh at myself saying it because I go, okay, Amanda, really, why is this hard? As somebody who 
took a month off. Liz, we know you slow down in the summer too. Getting back up to speed, right? When you're planning classes and teaching and getting back into the groove, it can feel hard. And then when you go, wait a second, why is this hard? Is it hard because I have to send a couple emails? Is it hard because I have to create new content? Is it just hard because I haven't done it and so I need to ease in? There's different things. And so one of the interesting things that has come up for me as I've asked myself this question, again, for pencil and paper people, answer the question, what are you dealing with and what is so hard about it? Something that was feeling particularly hard for me when I got back into the swing of work was just facing my inbox. I'm like, okay, why is this hard? Amanda, you can do this. You do this every day. It's not hard because I had, because I didn't have the language. It's not hard because I, I had all the answers I needed. It was hard because I had been out of it for long enough that I started to have some self-doubt. I started to question like, oh, are they sure they want me? Oh, are you sure my rate isn't too high? Oh, what if they say no? So once I knew that the hard part was where my head was at, then I could go, all right, bitch, just send the emails, open up the inbox. And I was like, fire them off and it's done because that wasn't the hard part. And yet it helped me make so much progress. Now I've shared that in my coaching, my job is to ask great questions. So I have some of my favorite questions that I encourage you to ask yourselves. Now, Liz, I know you also come from a place of being very intentional. I would love to know what's one of the questions that you always ask people who want to work with you. Usually one of the first questions that I ask from the lens of digital marketing and communications is what do you hate doing the most? Is usually what I lead with. <laughs> oh, I love that question. I love that it doesn't even like fully go into the technical marketing stuff. It's like, no, no, you are going to free up some time. Give me some of my life back. What do you normally hear? It's usually a mixed bag. And sometimes I have to let people know that just because I do social media and writing stuff, you're not going to offend me if that's one of your answers either. Sometimes I have to let people know, it's okay, hate what you want to hate in this space, that's totally fine. Uh, it's really a mix. A lot of people just can't stand being on Instagram, so that does tend to be a common one. And a lot of people... <clears throat> Me. <laughs> Amanda Wagner herself. <laughs> and a lot of people have really started to hate the idea of writing blogs themselves because they just can't find the time to do it. So there's hate associated with not having the capacity to be able to take it on. What I like about your style, and it, again, to some people, it could sound flippant, it could sound dismissive, but it's not technical. It's not, what are your pain points? It's like, no, no, what do you hate? Day to day, what's the stuff that slows you down and pisses you off? Yep, what do you hate? What do you put off over and over and over again so it's always on the bottom of your list? I usually mm -hmm. like to start there because that gives us a little bit of direction about what kind of work we could do together. Yeah, I find that all of these questions, again, I'm. this is a brilliant grasp of the obvious. It's all about finding clarity. Why is this so hard? What are the things that you hate? One of the questions that I come back to 
is why do you care? It's another form of why does this matter? I think that Simon Sinek and his world of of thought leadership really gave us the start with why question, but I don't think why is just a starting point. I think we need to start with why, yes, but sometimes we also have to reassess why we're doing something. I had a conversation just this morning with a lovely woman who's been in business for eight years and is at the point where she's trying to figure out what to do next. And she says, well, at some point I'm going to, I'm going to leave this, this industry. Okay, great. What's that point? What's the criteria for that? And it was pretty vague. And I finally said, okay, let's go back to the beginning. What did you set out to do here? What did you say mattered in terms of your impact, in terms of how you spent your time, in terms of your revenue, in terms of what it actually meant to you in terms of purpose and fulfillment? And she made that list. And then I went back to her and I said, okay, number one, you said this. Have you done it? She goes, yeah. Okay, cool. Number two, you said this. Have you done it? Actually, Yeah, I have. She had done every single one of those things. I didn't do it to say cut and run. I did it to say when we actually look at what we set out to do, we're giving ourselves a fair shake at assessing where we are because fiercely ambitious people keep going. We're going and going and going and we're moving forward. And I say all the time, I want it all. I want it now, but I've never defined what it all is. I've said there's no such thing as enough. And that always feels really exciting until you're in a hamster wheel, until you're burnt out, until enough is the only goal and it's undefined. And so I think that really ambitious people, whether you run your own business or you are leading, it's important to go back to why does this matter? And does the reason it matter, has it changed? It's okay if it's changed, but let's be honest about it. And when it comes to what did you set out to do? Make the list with the checkboxes. And get specific. I know that we live in a a very kind of aspirational, I want to leave the world a better place than when I found it. Great. Me too. And what does that actually look like for you right now? How are you going to know when you've done it? Because I think there are many people who are staying in something because they have to, or because they think they have to. Or because they are engaged in some heavy reputation management. Now, Liz, I've never experienced the feeling of having to uh, do some reputation management or caring about what other people think of me. (laughs) Liar. It's all lies. (laughs) The next question that I want to bring forward kind of is related to this, what did you set out to do and have you done it, is thinking about what does success look like? And we can come at this from two different ways. We can think, 
if I'm thinking in the work lens of what is success, is it a certain amount of website clicks? Is it a certain amount of time spent on page? Is it a certain amount of followers? Whatever, we can go that route. But we can also think in my day, when I sit down at my desk in the morning, what does success look like today? Is it getting two tasks done on my list? Is success at the end of the week not being exhausted? Is it having done something that filled my cup, filled my bucket? So I think we can look at it from this very much quantitative lens, like we do so often in our Zoom rooms and our day-to-day. But I think we can bring a little bit of that emotional space in. I'll do this sometimes uh, with my partner at the end of the day. He'll say, I just, I feel like I was on the phone a lot, or I feel like I was working on lots of stuff, and I feel like I didn't get anything done. And it's like, okay, well, what does success actually look like? Or what does it feel like? And I think you can kind of start to get some answers and, or as you say, pull some threads from that. I like that end of the day assessment too, because I know, I very much know the feeling of being exhausted at the end of the day and being like, what did I actually do? And so I, I like that you do both the what does success look like, but also what does it feel like? For some people, success feels like that exhaustion, you left it all out on the field and you're so content with that. And for some people, it looks like, no, no, I want to have gas in my tank still. That's what success means for me. It means that I didn't burn out. One of the places that I have been playing in the last little while is around self-compassion. Please don't stop the podcast. (laughs) If you're one of those people who's heard me be like, oh, not another gratitude journal. I too am tired of hearing about self-compassion because it can feel frou-frou and a wonderful woman who I've talked about before on the podcast, her name is Dr. Kara Pepper, Dr. Pepper, if you will, and she's brilliant and thoughtful and she recommended this book to me and I rolled my eyes and then I said, okay, tell me more about it. And it's called Fierce Self-Compassion. It is by Kristen Neff, who is a a professor, a researcher, and there's this beautiful paragraph in here. In fairness, I'm just going to put it out here. I'm on like page 45 of the book. So if there is a dramatic turn and it gets terrible, I'll let you know on Instagram, but I don't think it is. The reason I bring up the self-compassion is because I think it really connects with what are we here to do and what does success look like? Because in my narrow-minded understanding of compassion, it feels a little too soft sometimes and like there's not enough rigor to it. And if I am compassionate with myself, then I'm not going to get anything done. Then I'm not going to have the impact that I want. So... I'm just going to read this passage here. The author tells a personal story, which I encourage you to read. I am not on commission for this book. I really should be, though. Two people that I talked to about it today went out to buy it. So I would like 50 cents. Page eight. The author says, as a result of some of my reading and meditation practice, I tried to be warmer to myself and more supportive. Instead of beating myself up about what I've done just so I could convince myself that I was a good person for hating what a bad person I had been, I tried to be more understanding and forgiving. Admittedly, it was a bit awkward at first. 
when I tried telling myself human beings make mistakes, another voice would pop up and say, you're just making excuses. And I was like, oh, busted. That's what my voice does. My voice goes, you've gone soft, you're making excuses. She continues, but eventually the voice of objection quieted as I learned to acknowledge the pain of the harm I had caused while being kind in the process. I told myself, I know you would have done it differently if you could have, but you weren't capable at the time. Rather than obsessing about myself and my misdeeds, I began to appreciate the imperfect humanity and the way it connected me to the larger whole. I would put my hands on my heart and say, I know you're hurting, but it will be okay. I accept you exactly as you are, flaws and all. She goes into talking about how self-compassion isn't for sissies, that there is a way to merge tenderness and care with ferocity, with impact, with this protection. And this, she talks about this like mama bear fierceness that we get. We can be both things at the same time. And so long story, incredibly long, this book has presented some more questions that I'm using with my coaching and strategy clients, including these two questions. What do I need right now? And what do I need to alleviate my suffering? I've felt myself suffering. I've seen a lot of people suffering. And that can look different for everyone, right? It can be small s suffering and it still counts. And so I think these questions are helping to, again, get that clarity. What do I need right now? And in terms of alleviating the suffering, it's like, it's this, what can I pull back on? What can I take off? So today I asked a client these two questions and we chatted for a bit. And she said, Amanda, what do you need to do? She said, what do you need to do to alleviate your suffering? And I said, you know, I already did it today. I double booked myself this morning. And instead of canceling my massage this afternoon and beating myself up for double booking, I just sent an email and I rescheduled one of my calls to another day. And I got proof that the person was fine with that. That's something that's really hard for me as a people pleaser. So I think these questions are really, uh, they're kind of shaking me by the shoulders. I have one more question that I am so excited, but also so embarrassed to talk about. I'm just loving your face right now. <laughs> She's very bashful looking. <laughs> I am bashful. That's how I feel. Um, I am a fresh-faced 36-year-old woman. And in the last, let's just call it what it is, eight, the last eight months have been tough. I have been challenged. I will not go into the laundry list Nobody needs to hear that. Um, but I've had a lot of little things happen around me, to me, with me. And I have felt and said, like, don't get too close to me. Uh, I'm bad luck. And a good friend of mine took me out for lunch for my birthday. I was talking about this challenging scenario that I was experiencing. And she said, what if it's not about you? I'm like, okay. And she goes, well, this situation that you're in, what if it's not you? What if you haven't done anything wrong? 
what if this other person is going through something? What if this client is experiencing this? What if this situation is really not about you? And again, 36 years old, I went, oh, is that a possibility? You mean it's not automatically my fault? Liz, what are you thinking? I'm thinking about the last episode of the podcast, which sadly I wasn't able to make it, but I did Mm -hmm. edit it. And you talked about reframing your perspective around burnout and how we've been conditioned to go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. Maybe the feeling of being burnt out or the desire to keep going even when you do feel it isn't about you. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm thinking about is Mm -hmm. the link between the last two episodes. Mm -hmm. Producer over here, sorry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you picked that up very selfishly because I go, Oh, I'm learning like from episode to episode, recording to record this, there is change happening. I am phoenixing as the youth say, it it is really cool. It's like, let's look at the bigger picture here, right? Yeah. I did talk about that in the last episode. Let's zoom out for a second. Maybe this is some type of conditioning. Maybe this is the circumstances that we're in, not necessarily something that was your fault or your problem or your responsibility. Maybe it just is. So that coupled with this language from fierce self-compassion of finding a way to trust that if you or the other person or the client or the situation could have done better, we would have, they would have, but that just wasn't in the cards. It takes some of this pressure off. And I, I find it such an interesting, ah, it's just interesting to me. What if it's not you? That feels really cool. I have one last question to share, and I use it in the work sense, but it's also something that I found to be beneficial when I'm having a conversation with a friend and they're, they're thinking about their next steps. I like to ask, why now? So when someone brings me on for support with their marketing communications, I love to get that context. They've been in business for five years. Why now? Did they hit a breaking point? Do they have larger business goals and no longer have space to do the task they're bringing me on for? I like having that context. Out of the work sense, to ask the question, why now? I think it just helps with like a deeper understanding of the motives of the friend or to ask myself, right? If I'm taking on something, why have I finally decided to do this now? And I think it just helps us get a little bit deeper into our why. I like placing the time on it. Like, Why now? Why not last week? Why not last year? Why not six months from now? I appreciate that context because I think it helps, again, clarity makes things just a little more crisp for us all. Totally. And I think, yeah, it's why, why you, why now? Liz, have you ever asked a client, why did you choose me? Uh, Thinking face. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if I have. Or if I have, I don't know if I remember the answer. Right. I usually ask people how they found me, but I don't, I don't think I asked them why they hired me, but maybe I will now. 
I've asked this, I'm, I'm asking because I've asked this question and I think it sounds ego driven and Hey, you know what? I love some validation. So why did you pick me? Because you're amazing because you're like stunningly beautiful. Cool. But really what it, what it does for me is it helps figure out what's most important to them and their expectation. So if I'm leading a workshop or speaking, I'm like, okay, why am I the right person for this? Well, because you can engage an audience. Great. Okay. Ego boosted check, but also it tells me what's most important to them. And it helps me hold up my end of the bargain. How do I make sure that I deliver on that thing, which is clearly so important that they are putting time, money, resources, energy into? Why am I the right fit? What are they looking for from this relationship? I really like that with giving yourself a little bit more finite direction with this is what their expectation is of me. This is why they chose me. I better come with it. I really like that. 100%. I'm going to start doing it. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I also think it's a people have done their research, especially in, I mean, you can, what is the phrase? Throw a penny? I think I made that up. Okay. Um, you could spit, you could spit and hit somebody. Do you know what I'm getting at? Okay. It's what I'm trying to say is both the industries that we work in business coaching and strategy and digital media communication. You can find all of these people who do this thing. It's not hard. I could find 10 different digital communication specialists online in one minute with one hashtag. And if somebody's going to hire you, what a cool opportunity to know who else they've looked at, why they chose you so that you can use that into how you deliver. Same thing. There are, there are business coaches. There are speakers all over the place. What is it that I bring to the table? Or what is it about something that I said, something that I did? that got you. And the cool thing is that it, it kind of continues in this cycle where if somebody says, oh, I hired you because I love how you use humor with an audience, it helps me do more of that, especially if the person who's hiring me is the right client. Or they say, oh, I loved your website. This line really spoke to me. Okay. How do I do more of that? If this is the right person and I want 10 more of these people, what did I say that got them in so I can do it again? To recap some of my favorite questions, why is it hard? How could you make this easier? What did you set out to do? And then assessing, have you done it? Why do you care? Or why does it matter? How has your why changed? And what if it's not you? And Liz, can you give us a recap of your questions? What do you hate doing or what do you put off over and over and over and over again? What does success look like or feel like at the end of the day, end of the week, end of the year, end of the hour? And also why now? You could have made this decision maybe a year ago. You could have put it off for another six months. Why have you chosen to do this thing now? And also with the add-on of why me from Amanda. I've also asked myself, 
why me to myself. So when somebody hires me or somebody wants to work with me, I'm like, oh, why me? And it's a, it's a boost. It's not a, why me? Oh my God, they made the wrong choice. It's a, why me? Oh, I'm actually, I am good at this. Why me? Because they saw me speak and they want me to do it again. Why me? Because they listen to this podcast and whatever. I do this a lot. Oh, do you? Yeah. To pump I your do. tires. Yeah, I'm awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I do it a lot. Yeah. It, it feels really good. I am the right person for this, in fact. I've, I've definitely changed some of my, like, am I sure I'm the right person? To, of course they chose me. I am the right person for this. And instead, it's more of a thank you for choosing me because I know I'm the right person. Ah, great. I can't wait to listen to this episode with my pen and paper. We don't necessarily get that opportunity while we're recording, but I can't wait to go through this. I hope that our listeners have been writing these things down. Liz, I can already feel you making a carousel of these questions. This is some good stuff. We've got some really good stuff to ask here um, of ourselves, of the people around us. And hmm, how lucky are we to have these great questions at our disposal? In the spirit of don't ask, don't get, I'm here with an ask. And that is, for the remainder of 2023, I am opening up my private coaching to a handful of clients. I previously have kind of shut this down or gone a little slower, and I have some space in my calendar, and I would love to talk to very ambitious people about their goals. I want to help them find clarity, and I want to tell you, you're very ambitious. Yeah, me too. I get it. You're in the right place. So if this is up your alley, if you need to find some clarity, if you need some business therapy, I'm your person. You can find me at theamandawagner.com or send me a DM on Instagram at theamandawagner. If you found yourself answering these questions along with us today and you've realized, holy crap, I need some help, <laughs> that help might be digital marketing and communications. Let's talk. You can find me on Instagram at Liz Pittman or visit my website, lizpittman.com. And those things you hate, I'm happy to take them on. I was going to say, if you realize that you hate everything, <laughs> call Liz. <laughs> As always, it's an absolute delight recording with you, Elizabeth. We missed you on the last episode, uh, so it's great to be back. Our next episode includes a guest that I'm very excited about. You teased this in the last episode, so we better deliver for episode 93. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a Things scheduling happen. thing. Yeah. I did tease. My apologies. We're going to talk to Candace for real this time. And oh boy, I'm so excited. Every email I exchange with her, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so good. So uh, it's going to be a wild ride. Elizabeth, I will talk to you in 30 seconds after this recording. And thanks for, for coming up with some great questions and sharing your magic today. Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. Let's do this again in two weeks, shall we? Episode 93 will be out then. And until then, as always, listeners, we will see you on the internet.
Um, what do you want to title this episode? I think in your review and editing and production, can you find out how many questions there are? Yes. Because can it be like eight questions, questions to clarity? To... Or, um... Ooh, love it. Okay, yeah.